Welcome back to the Foul Balls podcast for February 22nd, 2018. We have the first slate since All-Star break, six games. And usually the first few slates coming out of All-Star break are kind of hard to play just because there isn't a lot of value because there are no injuries. Everybody everybody rested. This seemed like a really long All-Star break. I, I can't remember off the top of my head exactly how many days previous ones have been. But it seemed like a week off is longer than what I remember. I, I think it, the basketball usually comes back on Tuesday, but I could just be completely misremembering. I definitely didn't look this up before, obviously. Uh, but this one is kind of a decent slate because some teams are making lineup changes. So I think there is some value that we could talk about. And I think it's I think it's a pretty decent slate overall. Six games is a good size. So jumping into it, first game on the slate, the Brooklyn Nets at the Charlotte Hornets. From the net side of the game, uh, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson and Karis LeVert, they're two players who have been out for like probably close to a month now or so, and they're still both out for this game. Uh, Quincy Acey, I think, is a fine play at 4,100. He was playing over 30 minutes a game prior to the break, the last couple games without LeVert and Hollis-Jefferson there. 39 minutes in a double overtime game, then 31-32 minutes for Acey, so I think that he's a fine play at 4,200. I also think that D'Angelo Russell's still a good play at 5,600. Uh, Matt and I both liked him a decent amount for his last few games prior to the All-Star break. And the minutes restriction really isn't a thing anymore. Uh, 29 minutes, 25 minutes, 32 minutes his last three games, 42, 27, 35 fantasy points. He was priced over 8,000 prior to getting injured earlier in the season. So I assume that that's, he's going to be a high 7,000, low 8,000 player going forward with the minutes restriction off. So just a lot of pricing value for him at 5,600. From the Hornets side of the game, uh, it's a really strong matchup for Dwight Howard at 8,400. The Nets give up more fantasy points to centers than any team allows to any position. The only issue I have with Dwight Howard is the price, and the minutes are a little lower than what they were before since we have everybody on the Hornets healthy. Now Cody Zeller's back. We have Frank Kaminsky, Marvin Williams are all playing. So Dwight Howard, instead of playing like the 35 or so minutes he was playing before, he's playing like 29 to 31 minutes. So I think that Howard is the best play of anybody on the Hornets, but is not a particularly strong play and is somebody who I would say like if I'm making 20 lineups, he's maybe in one or two of them. Yeah, there's a lot of upside for Howard because of the matchup, but like you said, the minutes have just not been there as much with Cody Zeller back, and they were a little bit higher, I think, when Marvin Williams was out, but he's healthy too. There, there are a lot of guys the Hornets have to use in the front court, but I still think that Howard could have a huge game against the Nets because of the matchup, and 8400 is lower than what he was priced the last couple weeks. I think he did even reach 10000 at one point, so maybe we are getting a reasonable price discount with this minutes reduction. And it, it could be a solid value for Howard. I'm going to guess he's pretty highly owned, too, because there aren't a lot of great options on this slate. There isn't a lot of value. And I think a lot of people are on to the idea that the Nets just don't defend centers well. Um, it might become a little bit worse of a matchup for Dwight Howard if Jaleel Okafor doesn't play, because Okafor is really bad defensively. But I don't think it matters. The Nets have been awful against centers all year, and Okafor's played like 50 minutes total with the Nets. Yeah, I think they've been even worse when Okafor plays. So I guess it's not it's not a negative thing for Howard if Okafor is not there, but it could be more of a positive if he does get that matchup. Yeah, it's probably negligible either way. Um, from the Nets side, like you said, D'Angelo Russell, I won't go into any more detail about that because he's just too cheap and 
he's priced for a minutes restriction when he doesn't really have one anymore. So I like him for sure. Um, and then if Okafor is out, I guess it makes AC a little bit better of a play. Uh, Dante Cunningham is on the nets now. He's literally min-priced, so maybe he's usable. What's gone on with Jared Allen's minutes the last few games? Because he was playing 30 minutes or so for about a week or two, and the last three games, and I think Okafor was out one of those games, he's been 20 minutes or less. So what, do you have any idea why he's not playing as much? Um, well, I don't think he was... I think he might have had one game where he played 30 minutes. I just think it's the usual thing where the Nets just kind of spread their minutes around a lot. Um, but, I mean, if you look at uh, the last the last seven games, out, uh, Jared Allen's only averaging 23 minutes per game. So, was the... Oh, no, I thought maybe the game where he played a bunch of minutes was the double overtime game. I mean, yeah, he had the one game where he played 32 minutes. Outside of that he hasn't played more than 27 minutes in any other game this year. Yeah, and I actually think that game uh, it was against the Pistons, right? I think Okafor had a bunch of fouls in that game, so Allen just had to play more minutes out of necessity. Um, it's a hard matchup in Charlotte against Dwight Howard, so maybe it's easy to avoid Allen, but he also gets a lot of his fantasy points from blocks and rebounds, so he's a little matchup-proof. If Okafor does sit, I think Allen's more viable, but I'd probably ignore him otherwise. All right, next game here is the Knicks at the Magic. Uh, this is not a confirmed lineup switch. It's been something that I've predicted is going to happen, I think, every game for the last three weeks or so for the Knicks. But the Knicks are making a point guard change. All of their practices over the All-Star break, Emmanuel Moutier practiced with the starters. So that leads me to believe that Moutier is going to start a point guard for the Knicks with Jared Jack coming off the bench and potentially even being out of the rotation altogether. I think it's pretty likely that Moutier is the starter, Neil Aquina is the backup, and there's zero minutes of Jared Jack going forward. So Moutier, I think, is the best value play on the slate of 4,400. I think that he is arguably an all-in type play. Moutier is not a particularly good player, but even last year when he was just god-awful in a Nuggets team that had other players who could make plays and handle the ball, he was priced around 6000 as the starter at one point. So 4400 on the Knicks, where he's probably going to have to have a bigger role in the offense. I, I just think that it's going to be really hard for him to fail in that spot. He's definitely a must-have for cash games. And he's going to be my highest-owned player tomorrow. Um, I'm not sure 100%. But if it's not 100%, it's going to be close to it, where I have him in like 80 to 90% of my lineups. Uh, if you're not playing him, I do think that Frank Nielakina is a sensible pivot off of him. The only issue is that Nielakina has been really, really bad over the last couple of weeks. So I think that Nielakina is a very risky GPP play, but is sensible to pivot off of Moutier. I do think that Tim Hardaway Jr. and Michael Beasley are also good plays. Beasley's been playing close to 40 minutes per game lately, starting for the Knicks. Really high usage rate. Uh, fantasy points in the last four games, 35, 34, 38, 39. So... Really consistent production also. I think he's a solid play. And his canner is a bit too expensive for me at 7600 From the Magic side of the game, uh, the, the minutes have just been split between Shelvin Mack and DJ Augustin, so I don't really like either of them. And then in the front court, we have Nikola Vucevic and Aaron Gordon both coming back from injury, so they eat into each other's production. There haven't really been a lot of games where both of them have been healthy this year. 
Uh, Evan Fournier is okay to roster 5,600 just because it's cheaper than where he's been for most of the season, but there is still the issue of less usage for him with Gordon and Vucevic back. Uh, I'm also a little wary of rostering Gordon Vucevic first game off the All-Star break because I don't know what their minutes are going to look like. Yeah, I think that Orlando is pretty fadeable because there are just a lot of mouths to feed now. They have all their guys back, essentially. And yeah, we don't know what the minutes are going to look like. So it is a pretty good matchup against the Knicks. I would assume the Knicks are going to be a lot worse defensively going forward with Michael Beasley and Ennis Cantor playing more minutes instead of Kristaps Porzingis. So the Knicks might be a team to pick on more going forward, and I'm sure Moutier playing point guard more of the time doesn't help either. But this Orlando team is just going to be tough to figure out, so maybe it's worth just having a couple dart throws on various Magic guys that might play more minutes than we think, but... It's a tough situation. And then, yeah, on Moutier, I think I agree with you, and I think I would use Neil Aquina in just about every lineup that doesn't include him. But you're right, Neil Aquina has played minutes. He's had some games where he's played minutes and just done nothing. Moutier is much more active. Like, he, if he gets minutes, he is a really high floor. Neil Aquina, you can't really say the same for him, but I think Neil Aquina at 3,600 could have a higher ceiling, and he should be really low-owned. Moutier will probably be a lot chalkier, so... For uh, another thing I'll add to that also, uh, I think there's a pretty good chance that Neil Akeen and Moody are going to be playing minutes together tomorrow, so I also think it is sensible to use them in the same lineup together just because of how cheap they both are. Yeah, I guess you wouldn't use Hardaway and Neil Akeen and Moody together. Because I, think I, would still be, I think I would still be fine with that because I, I think ultimately the Knicks are going to be playing Moody together with Neil Akeen with Courtney Lee being more of the odd man out there. Well, if I'm going to use three Knicks in the same lineup, I probably only want to do it if it's a game stack. I think that's just a general philosophy that makes sense because a lot of the upside you get with using a lot of players from the same team is either the game turns into a track meet or maybe you get overtime or just some weirdness where a lot of the players do well. And if you're not going to use anyone from the other side of the game, you kind of lose that benefit because if, let's say, the Knicks Magic game does go to overtime and you just have three Knicks guys... It's, a, it's actually potentially a negative for you because you didn't roster any of the Orlando guys. Um, this doesn't feel like a stackable game to me because of all that uncertainty with Orlando. So I probably will limit it to just two Knicks guys at most per lineup. Maybe three, because they, they are cheap, so that is helpful. I think you could roster Beasley with Moutier, and then maybe if you throw one other guy in there. It's not the worst idea in the world, but I still don't think I would play too many Knicks guys in the same lineup because it's just, it's a hard game to stack with all the Orlando guys healthy. Yeah, I, personally, I'm still okay with it just because of how cheap Moutier and Neil Aquino are. Like, I think it's a different situation if you're rostering three players from the same team who are like six to 7,000 price players, but it's a little different when it's like they're 3,600 and 4,400 for two players. Yeah, I think that's fair. I guess the one thing I definitely wouldn't do is roster Hardaway with Beasley or Beasley with Cantor. Probably wouldn't roster any two of those three guys in the same lineup because they're not that cheap and they are going to take away usage from each other. So I think it is more sensible to roster Moody, Neil Aquina, and one of those three guys, but I don't, I don't think I would want to have Beasley and Hardaway in the same lineup. All right, moving ahead, the Philadelphia 76ers, the Chicago Bulls. From the Sixers' side of the game, I think Joel Embiid is a fine play at 9700 to pay up for. Uh, he, I think that he's somebody who really should benefit from the All-Star break just because he's been banged up a little bit this year. He got a lot of time off 
and he's played really well basically whenever he's been on the court this year. So 9,700 in a plus matchup, I think is a good spot for Embiid. This is ridiculously expensive for Ben Simmons at 9,000. Uh, Robert Covington's price has gone way down at 5,000, but I'm really concerned about his minutes going forward. So I think you could take a shot on him in a GPP, but certainly not a core play for me. Uh, last game, Embiid actually sat out before the All-Star break, and Covington still only played mid-20s minutes because the Sixers just signed Marco Bellinelli, and Bellinelli ended up taking a lot of playing time from Covington. Bellinelli ended up playing about 27 minutes. So I think that Covington is upside of 5,000 just because if he's starting, because he is going to be starting, and if he plays decently, he'll probably get more playing time. But he, he's just struggled to hit a shot for about two months now. And with Marco Bellinelli also in the mix, there's a little bit more downside for Covington than there was at other points in the season. From the Bulls' side of the game, the Bulls are switching up their starting lineup. David Nwaba is starting in place of Justin Holiday, and Cristiano Felicio is starting in place of Robin Lopez. Nwaba is only 3,500. Felicio is only 3,000. The Sixers do have a really good defense, so it's a tough matchup. But I think these guys are cheap enough that there's plenty of upside in their price tags. We don't know exactly what their minutes workload is going to look like, but Nawaba's made three starts this year. He's averaging 28 minutes and 25 DraftKings points per game, so I think he's a fine play at 3,500. Felicio at 3,000, very difficult individual matchup against Embiid. But, I mean, if he's going to get maybe, say, even just 25 minutes as a starter, if he could put up, like, eight points and five rebounds, then he hits value with that price tag. So I think he's a fine value play at 3000 Nwaba's in play. Uh, I'm a little wary of Chris Dunn. He doesn't have a minutes restriction, except the Bulls said they are still going to be cautious with his minutes because he's coming off that concussion. And uh, Zach, Le- Zach Levine, I still think, is fine to play at 7000 So the guys who I like here are mostly Nwaba, Felizio, and uh, Zach Levine. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you on Ben Simmons from the Sixers side, and then also Covington. Um, Simmons could get some extra ownership because his last game against the Bulls was the ridiculous triple-double that he had, but that was the, also the game where the Sixers were playing without Jared Bayless, without TJ McConnell. I think J.J. Redick was out for that game, too, and they didn't have Marco Bellinelli, obviously. So that was a pretty extreme circumstance. Uh, Simmons is way too expensive to play at at this price with all those guys there. I don't even think it's defensible to use him at all. So Embiid for just a little bit more is the preferred option for the Sixers. I think Embiid's a really strong play with, I guess, Felicio guarding him maybe isn't that much better than Robin Lopez guarding him, or maybe it's a little worse. I don't know. But either way, it's a strong matchup. So definitely like Embiid. And then, yeah, the punt plays on the on the Chicago side all makes sense. Um, I won't call this a stackable game, really, because of the, the Philly... I price it well it's not price on Covington but it is the price on Simmons I wouldn't use Simmons just to game stack Covington I probably wouldn't really use either um, and then Chris Dunn makes it tough on the Chicago side so I think it's just the same players that you said maybe Laurie Markkinen um, he seems a little bit underpriced and I don't think Embiid would really be guarding him uh, Felicio's the center uh, so maybe not quite that hard of a matchup for Markkinen and Embiid's defense at the rim doesn't really affect shooters as much. So I'm okay with marketing too, just to throw him in there with the guys you mentioned, and that's pretty much it for this game. All right, next game, Washington at Cleveland. So from the Washington side of the game, it's, it's a really favorable matchup against Cleveland. This should be the 
one of the higher scoring games on the slate. It actually, I think, it has the highest over under. The issue I have with the Washington guys is just Bradley Beal at ninety four hundred. I don't really think there's a ton of upside in that price for him. Even in a plus matchup, I just think like I'd rather pay for Embiid at the same price tag. Uh, I'd rather go down to Dwight Howard for thirteen hundred less. So Beal's just a little bit too expensive for me. I think Markeith Morris is a sensible play at fifty four hundred. Right before the All Star break, he was scoring. He's actually scored once. He scored at least twenty five fantasy points now in was it eleven or like ten or eleven consecutive games, and he's gone over thirty five in three of them. So his minutes have been up recently. They were down a little bit to start the year, but I think a lot of that was just because he wasn't healthy. He was coming back from the hernia surgery. Uh, last year, he was priced at uh, kind of like mid 6000 as high as 7000 when he was healthy, and that was with John Wall there for a lot of the year. So I, I think that we're going to see the price go up on Markeith Morris plus matchup. I like him at 5400 From the Cavs side of the game, it's really hard to roster anybody other than LeBron right now. The minutes just seem to be really spread out amongst all those role players. Just Larry Nance, Jr., and Tristan Thompson, it's an even split for the center minutes. And then the rest of the guards, George Hill, Jordan Clarkson, Rodney Hood, all those guys are just playing like 22 to 26 minutes. So I think the only guy you can roster from the Cavs right now is LeBron. Yeah, and I don't think it's the best spot for LeBron. 11800 is pretty expensive, so I guess he's someone to use if you just have the salary he probably makes the most sense of anyone to pay up for on this slate. But I think it would be more sensible to just use a balanced lineup and maybe have Embiid as your most expensive guy. I think LeBron's a bit of a reach. And then, yeah, the rest of the Cavs, it's just how do you even figure out who plays on a given night? I think it'll just be pretty evenly split, like you said. So the Cavs might be a team to just completely ignore. And, yeah, I think I agree on Markeith Morris. Bradley Beal is expensive. This game is a 220-point total, but I think it's one of those situations where the prices are fair, there are a lot of players to pick from, and even though it's it's the second-highest over-under on the slate, it's just not really a game to use that much of. All right, next game, OKC at Sacramento. I think Russell Westbrook is my favorite of the super expensive guys on the slate. So we have... Uh, was it like West, the guys I would consider to be the real upper price tier of like Westbrook, Curry, Durant, LeBron, uh, Embiid. Uh, for the price, actually, probably Embiid, and then Westbrook, my second favorite one to pay up for now as I'm thinking about all of them. I think those are the two best plays of the expensive guys. Uh, Steven Adams, I think, is usable in a plus matchup against the Kings. I have not rostered Carmelo Anthony in what feels like forever. But seeing his price all the way down to 5800 now, I think that's a much more reasonable price to use him at as opposed to when he's been in the mid-6,000s to even as high as 7,000 this year. So I think Carmelo playable at 5800 From the Kings side of the game, uh, Scal has not played in about a month with a short, uh, sore shoulder. If he's able to play any starts, I think he's a good play at 4500 uh, it's still a little bit confusing with the Kings because we don't know what their plans are for the rotation of the starting lineup. So is if Scal plays, is he going to start over Zach Randolph? Is Zach Randolph still going to start? I know that they've said that they're making more of a conscious effort to play the young guys, but 
I don't know if that's actually going to hold true or not because I've said that multiple times this year, and then all of a sudden Vince Carter starts the next game. So I think the Kings are the hardest team to figure out, uh, but I would have interest in rostering Scal if he plays. Yeah, I, I agree with you on Westbrook. And the one guy from the Thunder who definitely is worth fading is Paul George, who is still priced for when Westbrook and Mello were out at 8800 He could still be pretty popular because of how good he was before the All-Star break, but definitely zero interest in Paul George. I think Westbrook and Mello and Adams are all in play, and then Scal, too, makes some sense. The Kings are probably a team to avoid, though, so I guess it's the same sort of thing where I don't want to use Westbrook, Mello, and Adams all together unless it's a game stack. And when you stack the Kings, you really are just guessing who gets the minutes. This game is also fairly late in the night. Um, yeah, it's the latest time slot, so we may not even know if Scal is in going into lock. That could be a challenge, too. Uh, would you even use him at all if he's still questionable at lock, or just it's not worth the risk at that point? Yeah, well, here's the thing. We just don't have a lot of information on him right now because the, the Kings haven't put out an update yet. The last thing they said was literally like a month ago. He's, they said he was out two to three. Uh, they said he was out two to three weeks. So, with the plan for him to come back sometime after All-Star break. So, it, I think that the reason he's just being considered questionable right now is because we just don't have an update. So, I think that there will be some kind of update tomorrow, just because we really haven't heard anything in a long time. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, there are a lot of players in this situation where we just have unupdated injury reports because they haven't, well, the All-Star break, I, I think you were what you said at the beginning is right. It's This is a longer All-Star break than we've had in most seasons I think I think NBA usually comes back on Tuesday. I think I think that's right because um, it's it's like a week now since we had our last game. Yeah, we I, I I do agree with you. We probably will know the answer either way before lock. Okay, and the last game on the slate, the Kings at the Warriors. I mean the uh, Clippers at the Warriors. The Clippers side of this game is uh, it's another fade for me. There's a lot of blowout risk here. The Clippers have a ton of backward guys who are playing minutes. Uh, Avery Bradley is questionable, so if he's out, that is some more minutes for Lou Williams and Austin Rivers. I don't know that Austin Rivers could possibly play any more minutes, but uh, we've we've seen Doc run him out for 40 minutes for for some games. Uh, to me, though, it's just a really tough matchup against the Warriors. There's the blowout risk. None of them are really that cheap, so they're fades for me from the Warriors' side of the game. I mean, I guess you could roster Durant or Curry, but I don't think either of them are particularly strong plays for their price. Also, when we factor in the blowout risk, I think that adds more downside to them. So I much prefer pretty much all the expensive guys to Durant and Curry. Um, Yeah, the other thing also is that this is kind of expensive for them also, with both of them healthy. So I I think more likely they're both going to be fades for me. Yeah, and Draymond Green is priced up a bit, too. He hasn't been at 8000 that often. This is a pretty easy game to stay away from. There's a lot of blowout risk, but at the same time, it should be kind of low-owned for a contrarian stack. The Warriors are 11-point favorites right now, so it's not it's not as high of a number as we've seen. And I think this that sort seems, of... That seems a little too low for me, though. Yeah. Uh, like, I would think that number should be closer to 13 or maybe even 14. Especially because I would think that of all the teams in the league, given their injuries this year, how many teams benefit more from the All-Star break than the Warriors? Well, I think that does make intuitive sense, but I sort of have to default to just Vegas lines on the Warriors are just about never too low because they're open 
the the reason that they're set at the number they're set at is because Vegas knows people will bet on the Warriors no matter what. So they they always have slightly inflated lines. I mean, maybe this is just a mistake, but I think the Clippers are a better team now than they've been the last month or two. The Blake Griffin trade seems to have hurt them a lot, but they did acquire some pretty important pieces like Tobias Harris and Avery Bradley. They also, well, I don't know how much Austin Rivers really helps them win, but they do have Danilo Gallinari back. So this might be a better Clippers team than most people think. I don't, I don't think it's a knock on the Warriors, but I actually think the Clippers are pretty decent now. Um, so the issue for me would be that figuring out which guys to use for a game stack would be tough because the Warriors players are a little bit overpriced. You're not going to use Durant and Curry in the same lineup. So you kind of just have to make multiple game stacks then with one or the other. That seems like sort of an inefficient strategy. And Draymond Green is pretty expensive too. And the Clippers are pretty well-rounded also. Um, so I do think the game could stay close, but I don't even know that it ends up being that high scoring of a fantasy game, even if it's close. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's just I, it's not as good of a fantasy game as I think people would think it to be, and I also think there's less upside in it than people would think because Durant and Curry, for the most part, have been priced both in the kind of mid to low nine thousand range, and both of them are healthy, and then the the value on them is when one of them are out because there's been a decent amount of games that both of them missed this year. And that's, what's created the big games for the others. So I'm, I'm probably fine with just avoiding that game altogether. Yeah, I think so too. It's got a 233 point total right now, but the prices and the depth of both teams, it's just, it's not really a viable game to use. There are a lot, there are a lot of games with much lower over unders that just have an easier focus for which players to target. So I mean, this game could be 125 to 120 for the Warriors and still only one or two players hits value. It's just, yeah, like you said, not a lot of upside, even if the game's close. Okay, so that will wrap up today's podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at GAaronBergDFS. Matt's Twitter handle is at PreachingSense, and we'll be back for Friday sleep.